Hello and welcome to the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast. I'm John Hassel and as always I am joined by Stuart Baird. How are you Stuart? I am fine John, how are you? I'm wonderful, it's really hot today in here isn't it? Yes, it's been a warm couple of days and we are <laughs> suffering a wee bit here in the Glasgow Motorway Archive headquarters but uh, hopefully yep. we won't melt away <laughs> while we're recording this. And uh, I am delighted to say that you're joining us for a very special podcast. We are celebrating the 50th anniversary of the completion of the Erskine Bridge. Yes, I have waited long for this day. Yes. Listeners of the podcast, people who looked at the website and social media know that me, John Hassel, <laughs> I, I am a big fan of this bridge. Yes. And Stuart, mm-hmm. you have had some less favourable things to say yes. about the bridge over the years, so this is going to be a particularly painful episode for you. Yes, I, I'm a bit of a convert, <laughs> it has to be said. I have come, come round to the idea of Erskine Bridge, and you know what, we could know at the 50th anniversary go by with it, some kind of celebration. Of and of course, and people viewing our social media channels and the like will be seeing all the various things that have been going out on there so mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's good i think people will will like it i think people have a a, a regard for the erskine bridge they that do. they maybe don't about other bridges mm-hmm. it probably is something a bridge that people use when they're going somewhere nice so they go yeah. on a holiday they're going out for the day or, it's, it's you, like when we said on on um when when we met to Pond on yeah. that television show was at landward, landward yeah and mm-hmm. i said I, I said it's the expressway to the holiday that's right you know yeah and a line that probably lives on in infamy now but yeah um no it's it's great to be talking about this and you've just mentioned Stuart about social media yeah go and have a look at facebook yep. of the podcast yep. some of the pictures uh, and on twitter of inside the erskine bridge and mm-hmm. also in the service tunnel and stuff some of the pictures are fantastic oh, they are they are and of course you must 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 pick up a copy of our booklet our celebratory yep. booklet for the anniversary in a similar style to Kingston that we released last year so we've done another booklet it's available on the website go to the online store the booklet's free but there is a postage charge of £1.50 so if you pay that you'll get a nice shiny booklet sent to you a within, physical copy yeah physical copy within within a couple of weeks and and very special uh-huh. we have run another line of badges Ooh. for Erskine's 50th and it's they're highly limited there's, there's not say, a lot you- of them are you mm-hmm. going to make me pay for one yes. like you did with Kingston? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> they, they are extremely limited in number. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to go on and pre-order a badge, they'll be here, they'll be with us in a few weeks. So you can put, put a pre-order in, it'll get shipped out to you as soon as they arrive. So go on the store, have a look at that. Um, I, if you bought a Kingston one last year, you'll know the quality. It was superb. Mm. They come in a nice wee backing card and a nice wee cellophane wrapper. Which you, you must know. never remove, no, of course. never. It's, it's like a comic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yep, definitely pick one of those up as well. You'll get them on there. And, of course, the new web article is now live on the website as well. And a raft of new photographs that we've unearthed. Yeah. And thanks to everyone who's helped us with that. Western Bartonshire Council Arts and Heritage in particular, a special mention to them. And the guys at Maybe, uh, formerly Fairfield Maybe, who actually built the bridge, they've helped us locate the Erskine Bridge archive photos as well. So very many thanks. Massive treasure trove yeah. of stuff that's come through from these guys. And, and it's been and good to share it. Historic Environment's Scotland, I should say as well, who we have licensed some of their images from as well. Yep. So it's all come together very nicely. It has, yeah. indeed. And in, in, for many years, we hadn't quite given it justice on the website, did no, we? It was all true. a bit of a holding page. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I mean, there were loads of other things we're working on, but this is a good opportunity to yeah, do that. You're, so. you're absolutely right. The, the anniversary was as good as good an excuse as, as any to, to actually do something a bit more deserving of, of such course. a major bridge and crossing of the River Clyde. Absolutely. Speaking of deserving, mm-hmm. it's only fair to mention our sponsors at this time because they are linked in some ways with uh, some anniversaries that have happened and also for the Erskine Bridge. <laughs> that, that's right, yeah. We, we really should thank our supporters, um, you know, who w- without them we wouldn't be recording podcasts as often as we are or putting out all that stuff on social media. I mm-hmm. uh, should say thanks to Eastford Excavations um, and Andy and the team there um, who, who have supported us for, for just about a year now. Um, Andy's guys you mentioned the other day when we were talking about the 10th anniversary of the m74 completion project mm-hmm. that andy's guys were actually involved in the signage uh works on the m74 project so and we, they're still standing yes so well done and no, and no slippage or no drooping of those signs <laughs> you know what like you see elsewhere where they start to subside or you know, settle and you mm. sign pulls itself well, well out. Done. m74 hasn't had that so andy and your guys well done well mm-hmm. done you, you sh- show them how it's done <laughs> and and our other supporter more recent supporter highway barrier solutions uh, scotland yeah. hbs scotland you may see them they, they do a lot of traffic management they do a lot of barrier works all across uh, scotland uh, w- w- thanks to nigel 
and the team there for their help and, and Nigel and his team have a, a specific connection to Erskine Bridge they've done a, a few major schemes out there including the upgrade of the parapets and the, the main barrier system on the bridge as well yep mm -hmm. absolutely so absolutely. thank you to all of you and if anybody else wants to support us or sponsor anything we're doing you know please do get in touch we're always happy to talk to people about that great yes absolutely all right. so we're going to have to get into the guts of this now so there's quite a, f a few things to cover but um a return to old form we've got some mm -hmm. questions here with this Good. this yeah. this paper sitting on my lap mm -hmm. i'm looking forward to going through these yeah so it's, it's one of these old style podcasts where i talk for like 40 minutes about the facts and figures <laughs> and then you, and i get comfortable yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you chip in now and again where we question or, or, well or i thought it was only fair points. that you headed up a lot of the research and done mm -hmm. the talking about mm -hmm. airskin because you you never liked it and i thought no. this was a good yeah. way to convert you because yeah. otherwise i'd just be sitting here talking at you yeah you know like i've done with some of the other roads that i am evangelical about yeah so um I, I make no secret of the fact that i was not an erskine fan um i where did this come from i think it was because i well, it was not so much to do with its functionality so much as the fact that i was a fan more of kingston and the clyde tunnel mm -hmm. to me kingston was the you know the absolute wonder yeah of, of the glasgow the motorway system the of, of, of yeah. river crossings for, for, for exactly roads. and erskine was kind of like just this bridge that i would go across whenever i was going somewhere and i wanted to avoid the clyde tunnel or great western road mm -hmm. and i remember pay, paying the tolls going across i was never particularly against the tolls or anything like that i just for some reason just never held it in much regard i thought you know the thing that i now appreciate about it was actually the thing that i didn't enjoy much about it years ago it was so slender in design and, and it's the aesthetic that it really there was nothing much to it mm. and and as a as a younger guy interested in big beefy bridges like kingston it's really in your face like, oh that's wonderful mm -hmm. looking at erskine you're like well there's nothing to it but i appreciate that more now now that i've spent more time on bridges and learned about with, bridges with, and with your work with bridges, yes. yeah i i can get you know. that i mean mm -hmm. if you in some ways you could look at erskine almost like just a, a big flyover it's, in a, some ways, it's yeah. a wondrous design yeah a very efficient form of construction very cheap to build <laughs> and uh you know that's why that's what that. we want in engineering yeah. very slender <laughs> appearance and you know what it, there was people involved in it who'd been involved in other schemes and i'm going to tell you all about that as well so sure. i think we'll just start at the beginning okay basically i, I think um, that's best now, <clears throat> yeah. now that you've justified your position yep. on where, why yep. you were like that absolutely um, yeah I, I agree so okay so at Erskine, which at that time was only a small village, now yes. a much larger town, was one of the, the later new towns that, that, that came along, and, and old Kilpatrick mm -hmm. across the north side of the river. There had always been a ferry service, or there had been for, for a few hundred years. Yeah, okay. or a queuing service for a ferry. Yeah, yep. exactly. So in, in <laughs> the later years of the operation of the ferry, and, and, and certainly even through the 1930s when traffic growth had spiralled, and had gone through the roof, yep. the public had started to complain about the reliability of the ferry service. Now, we have to remember that in the 1930s, if you were crossing the river there, there were no bridges out with or outside Glasgow city centre. Mm -hmm. You know, so you had to use a ferry to cross. No Clyde Tunnel, no bridges at, at Clyde Ark or Kingston or any of these places. So you had to use the ferry. Mm -hmm. And as traffic growth increased, so did the, the unreliability of the service. In that, as you say, there were a lot of queues particularly mm -hmm. in the busy summer months when when people would be heading for the highlands yeah you know and uh, and at that point there was no real wonderful road network that people could use to avoid ferries or anything like that i mean great western road yeah would have been an option for some people but very urban in nature at that time not mm -hmm. a lot of dual carriageway in place in the 30s at that point neither a lot yeah. of that came much later so you know people started to say no hang on this is not good enough Mm -hmm. and the local authorities Dumbartonshire County on the, on the north and Renfrewshire County on the south started to, to, to say like, hang on we really need a bridge here mm -hmm. but of course it was going to be difficult for a bridge because Glasgow being the, you know, the, the part of shipping and shipbuilding that you'd need something I mean <coughs> that the, I think the River Clyde's very wide there it's something yep. becoming an estuary at that point <coughs> yep. is yep. that you're going to need something of a massive span yeah. or you're going to need a tunnel. Yeah, exactly. So we couldn't you know? put something in there like Tay Bridge, for example, Tay Road Bridge. Mm -hmm. It was going to have to be something that was high level and had a real wide main span in the middle to cross that estuary. Okay. Okay. So they knew that it was going to be technically challenging and was probably going to cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they had this aspiration. Yeah, let's do this. Now, as with a lot of projects in Glasgow that we've discussed, the Second World War had a huge impact on progress on, on Scotland's upgrading of its roads and it was really the 1950s before the the project came back okay and in 1955 they, they actively had discussions about what can we do here you know mm -hmm. and eventually they decided to form 
a joint committee mm-hmm. um, you know, for the construction of a bridge and they started looking into various studies. Now the, the joint committee itself was actually uh, formed in 1963 Okay, so okay. quite late on. So they've done some discussions from the 50s through. So kind of like the Glasgow plans. So th- nothing really got kind of officially put to paper no. until the early 60s. It was no. just kind of mooted about. Some sketches, wee discussions here and there, articles in the, <clears throat> in the paper saying, yeah, we really need to do this, we're going to do this. That kind of thing, but no progress. Very much like the Glasgow in a ring road. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. And okay. It, was it just spoke about in a crossing in this context? Yes. <clears throat> yeah, right. yep, definitely. So... Uh, in, in 1963, they finally formed this joint committee between the two councils and they commissioned aerial surveys and trial boreholes and traffic studies and various other, uh, you know, feasibility and, and viability studies to see would the bridge work? Would it be used? Crucially, is it all going to be used by one or two people a day going across the river? Um, you know, can we actually link it in with the, the wider road plans that we had? Because by 1963, the Scottish office knew that they were going to have this new network of motorways and dual carriageways across the central belt. Could they make it all fit in and tie in with that? Would it then mm-hmm. act almost as a bypass at Glasgow for traffic heading north? All these things all started to fall into place. Yeah. Okay. And, and things really moved forward in December 1963 when the Joint Committee uh, decided to appoint Freeman Fox and Partners. Look. To to develop a, a study, mm-hmm. uh, and and a, a design for the bridge. And they so, done fourth. Yes, Freeman Fox. Yeah. They, they, so they, there was they, these guys have got some experience with yeah. this sort of thing. And you know? and they were involved in other box girder cable stayed bridges elsewhere in the world at this mm. time. And some of the design team that they had, some of the guys who were involved were actually at the forefront of design of trapezoidal box girders and, and, and well, very you know, cutting edge for that. All because, cutting edge. I mean, cable stay is now something we see as that yeah. as a modern thing. Well, that's thing, the thing. You know? Cable stayed bridges have been in, in the go since the 17th century. But right. it was only when we get into the Victorian era that it started to get used more widely. They then kind of fell out of favour uh, for suspension bridges for the wider estuaries for a time. Mm-hmm. But as we started to move through the 20th century and as technology moved on and, the, and material technology moved yeah. on crucially and you could get longer span steel and, and, and stuff like that, they were actually <clears throat> able to start considering cable stay bridges as a, a viable option for some of the wider estuaries. Well, I've learned something there. I didn't, yeah. I didn't think they went back that far. Yeah. And then they, they have, mm-hmm. have had like a revival. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm. that's right. So uh, Freeman Fox go away and start looking at their, their studies. And uh, in 1964, they, they actually present their, their initial findings um, to the joint committee. And it's pretty obvious at that point that, yeah, this is a big, this is going to be a, a rather large project, mm-hmm. uh, easily on a scale of what was intended in the Glasgow and the Ring Road. In terms of the amount of money that was required, they estimated something like £10 million. Pounds. Mm-hmm. To put that in the context, that's like, you know, that's between £150-200 million pounds today. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of money. Um, and the local authorities simply didn't have that. Yeah. So as the scope of the project became clear, uh, they opened discussions with the, the Scottish Development Department through the Scottish office, who eventually agreed that they would take on responsibility for the delivery of the project. It was felt that the, the feasibility had justified the need for the project enough. Not only that, in, in, the, in the interim uh, period, there had been a lot of development of new industry in the Linwood area. You know, the motor car industry had moved in there and there was other factories that were coming mm. up. And it was felt that some of the skilled labour uh, that was in the, on the north side of the river in the Dumbarton area and where some of the industry there had started to decline right. it was almost seen as a way of enabling those people to get across the river so getting that to, workforce, yeah. they might have been quite skilled basically uh, mobilising their workforce so that was a justification yeah. now I, I know we haven't scripted for this mm-hmm. uh, we don't tend, tend to script but a colleague came out and hit me with something a little bit left field about Erskine uh, a, a while ago yeah. uh, and about another reason for, for, the, for the bridge being there was potential um, access to military facilities or planned military facilities. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Any truth in that? Well, you know... Or is it just a convenient byproduct? Well, that- Faz Lane was very much under development at that time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, might that have been part of the thinking? Very possibly. Mm. Uh, but was that ever put in paper? No. I've never seen it mentioned. No. And it, it just seemed to be... <clears throat> maybe it's one of these myths, you know? Yeah. But, or maybe it's just it was a given and they were like, oh, well, yeah. you know, that's a convenient And, you know, it, it offered other opportunities as well because <clears throat> we know that they had plans for, for bringing new water mains and, and, and the like and gas mains across the river into the, the Renfrewshire area for that's Paisley. Right. And the, putting the bridge there actually allowed them to connect these utilities to the, the design for yeah, the bridge. you could just sling it under the deck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it saved them having to bore under the river and, you know, mm-hmm. and it made it, made it easier to maintain it, you know, down the line. So 
it gave it provided opportunities for a, a variety of things, mm-hmm. and I think that was one of the things that even early on they decided that they were going to include, you know, footways and cycleways. They didn't want to restrict it just to, to almost as a motorway crossing, you know, for traffic only. It was felt that it could become a corridor that was used by pedestrians going, you know, making local trips. I guess they had looked at the studies that they had done and they'd saw that on the ferry, mm-hmm. there must be people who were making regular journeys on foot. Again, looking uh, at you your know. car ownership back then and stuff like that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. You know, and it's, it's a good way of kind of, um, it's a bit of forward planning they had with that as well because nowadays when we look at something crossing like that, Yoka, uh, the new Yoka crossing is very much a thing where it is geared almost towards NMUs and public transport and things like that, that, Putting these footpaths on it, I suppose, in just the same way as forth, as you say, people wanted to do that. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, it, it was a it was a good idea, mm-hmm. and it was at that very optimistic time where we were modernising our transport infrastructure across yeah. the country, and it was catering to pedestrians, cyclists. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I'm going to give you some facts and figures about the design. Okay. okay. And it is a bit scripted, so I'm going to do what you often do, and I'm going to read from some pages I've <laughs> got prepared. <laughs> of course. Here. Okay. Uh, you know, because I think people will appreciate some of the. Uh, some of the facts and figures. So basically the design that they came up with was for a mono-cable-stayed box girder bridge with a main span of 1,000 feet, which is 300 metres, okay, and uh, principal side spans of 360 feet, which is just over 100 metres, okay. In all, there are 15 spans, and the total length of the bridge is 4,334 feet, which equates to 1,300 metres, or 1.3 kilometres. Okay, it has been designed to withstand winds of 130 miles an hour, although it will close to traffic at much lower wind speeds than that for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would fancy crossing the bridge in 130 mile an hour winds. No. Okay. Now, so there are 14 reinforced concrete supports, mm-hmm. very slender, towering up to you know 50 meters. Um, in some cases, um. They were designed specifically for the project by Dr. W.A. Fairhurst, William Fairhurst. Mm-hmm. Now, his partnership company, Fairhurst and Partners, were involved in the design of the Tay Road Bridge mm-hmm. and the Kingston Bridge. Yes. So Fairhurst are well-known, so Fairhurst have this connection. So it was basically felt, the Scottish office felt that Fairhurst were best placed to design the piers and foundations because they had, this, they had that expertise. Fairhurst was renowned for his slender elliptical uh, yeah like and, and are those features apparent on the piers yes, on, on very much so. elliptical, yeah. and that helps with the wind loading <clears throat> yeah, doesn't it that's exactly. the idea for that so yeah. the scottish office felt like, hang on okay guys you might be good with the steel work here and the box guard on the cables but mm-hmm. let's not make things difficult for ourselves let's bring in a, a consultant who knows about this sort of thing mm-hmm. so fairhurst was, was was closely involved he himself as i say was closely involved in the design of these 14 slender supports okay uh let's give you some some more facts and figures here. So on the North Bank, the piers are founded in clusters of piles, some of which are up to 180 feet long. And the total length of piles actually used in the contract was 43,000 feet. Now, I haven't, ca- <laughs> I haven't calculated what that is in metres, but mm-hmm. roughly if you divide it by three, um, you, you'll get that. <laughs> so if anybody wants to do that on their calculator. Um, so the design basically allowed for two carriageways, uh, two 24-foot carriageways, so two lanes, on each side, plus a footway and a cycleway. Yeah. And did you know <clears throat> that the cycleway was was reinforced uh, sufficiently that uh, if the bridge ever became busy enough that it could be converted to either a hard shoulder or a running lane? Or a running lane. Yeah. Could you imagine the madness of yeah. that? Uh, <laughs> the, the, it's such a quiet bridge at some point and then has three lanes, which would be our only three-lane major bridge. There yeah. wasn't Kingston, I suppose, yeah. even Queen's three and fourth or two. Exactly. You know? The bridge deck itself is basically 30 metres wide, give or take a bit. It varies a bit across the length. Right, okay. Yep. And uh, it's supported by, as I said, a single central cable over which each 125-foot mast, which is a lot <laughs> in metres, mm. <laughs> I should have calculated that, um, and anchored uh, in the median, so in the central reserve. Um, each cable is over 700 feet long and comprises 24 strands of three inches diameter. So it's not just one single cable. It's, it's a row of six, six wide by four high, anchored at various points, clamped together, and mm-hmm. they go up and over the tower and come down and are anchored within the box girder below. Yeah. Okay. And that, Keep, that provides additional it kind support. Of hoisted up. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the box girder itself, it's a steel box girder. Um, it's continuous across the, the entire length of the bridge. Most people probably don't realise it's hollow. You know, there are walkways through the inside of the bridge. And it was actually fabricated from 80 
individual sections that were welded together on site. So we've done some research and we found that the steelwork actually was, was made by uh, Culver's um, in, in the, the, the Glasgow area. Now, what, what I don't know yet, I'm still doing some research on this, is trying to figure out which Culver's it is. And at that point, it could have been Ravenscraig, it could have been Kosh, it could have been Clydebridge, it could have been any, any of those locally parts. locally sourced. Yeah, locally sourced steel. But then, interestingly, they then shipped it down to Chepstow in Wales, which was the for the yard for Fairfield, maybe, the main contractor. Okay, who then built these 80 boxes, these small boxes, and then shipped them back up to Erskine by road, where they were then anchored into position, you know, um, levered into position and welded up. Yeah, because it was like a train, the way that they'd done it. Yeah. I mean, I've seen in the, in the brochure, and it's got a great graphic in the brochure of them doing this. Yes, you know? exactly. So there's, there, is a, there is a good graphic in the brochure, as you see, showing that. And we're going to be sharing some graphics on social media and on the website as well that actually illustrates the process of how the box girder yeah. basically spread out from both sides of the river gradually progressively yeah. until it met in the middle and jacked. you've got to think about if anybody's it's difficult when you're speaking on a podcast without the visual aid but if people think of what it's like you're building up a vertebrae yeah you know of these component mm -hmm. sections that are coming together and then there's a doorway between them and it's hollow and you can go through it yeah yeah so the other key component of the design and moving away from the main bridge itself was the actual the approach roads because mm -hmm. you can't just build the bridge and then nothing can get to it so they had to incorporate it into the existing and planned road network which of course brings us to things like bishopton bypass yes. stage one which yeah. which was really in a lot of ways the the first part of the approach mm -hmm. to the the air yeah. so that was like m898 now did you know there were some alternatives considered here so i'll, I'll give you some detail on this so at the time the bridge was initially being looked at and being designed they weren't 100 mm -hmm. sure on what the bishopton bypass was going to look like yeah okay? well i i know i know that much mm -hmm. but i don't i haven't seen any plans yeah. or for different directions and so right so well, let me cover the north approach first because that's the easiest so the a82 north of the bridge that was already a dual carriageway that had been upgraded to dual carriageway we think in the 1930s mm -hmm. we've not quite ever ironed out a, a date for that but it was certainly dual carriageway by that point although it was on a, a fairly substandard alignment mm -hmm. by even 1960s standards so they knew they had to upgrade that so they were going to build free flow links from the bridge to the a82 with some connections to old kilpatrick so yeah, that was fine nice right. and easy okay south of the river was a bit more complicated so there was a plan for a new new alternative road to the old a8 so mm -hmm. the a8 was the main trunk road between glasgow and greenock at that time okay yep. now there was some uncertainty about whether that far west a, a new section of road was justified do we really need a motorway do we really need a dual carriageway so they actually had a proposal where rather than the craigton interchange that we've ended up with which is which, m8 junction 30 yep yep there was a proposal where the, the the approach road would have continued straight on and met the a8 just east of bishopton yeah okay that was going that was considered to be the worst case scenario so so that if they decide or they weren't sure what was going to be happening with the motorway system say the, say the motorway went off down where the a737 yep. went or something the, like they that they would yep. still have been able to connect to the, the main trunk road in the south side of the river which was the eight but as it happens by 1968 69 by the time they were actually moving forward to the construction stage all of that had been ironed out and we knew well, that the m8 was it was going to be motorway the renfrew bypass uh, had already pushed itself yeah. up towards bishopton at that stage yeah. at a temporary terminus and, and it was almost a given then so by nine yeah go. but by like 1966 they were more or less certain that there was going to be a new dual carriageway and then by the, by the time the motorway was actually under construction as renfrew bypass we've discussed before they actually decided to upgrade that section motorway. from st james out to bishopton well, to motorway coming with a little point here i think it actually ties in very well with mm -hmm. what they've gone and I'm, yeah. I'm quite glad they didn't go with some kind of um almost a bit what, what ended up south of fourth where it was all a bit of a oh, horrible yeah. temporary arrangement. A, sort of a botch. Yeah. A bit of a botch. Mm -hmm. And then you had the A9000 and the, yeah. the M9 Spur. Mm -hmm. and it never anyway. worked. Never but worked. We've got a much better southern approach set up yeah. at Erskine. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it does work quite well. Now, so so basically what they did, was they decided, well, hang on, we need to link the bridge to the motorway system. So we had Renfrew Bypass completed to that point to Greenock Road on the A8. So they decided, well, hang on, let's make a, rather than just have a single Bishopton bypass, let's split it into two stages. Mm -hmm. Stage one, mile long, connecting from the end of the existing Renfrew bypass to the south end of the bridge, will incorporate that within the construction contract. Yeah. And there that. was a junction in their local access junction at the Toll Plaza, yes, wasn't there? Yes, that's right. Know, yeah. So people which, could jump off. Yeah, so there was a junction with the A726. Yeah. Which at that time was, uh, was still a major route that was taking traffic to the ferry. 
okay. as well. Yeah. So, so that was a, a fairly important route. And the toll plaza, as you say, was incorporated in. It was always the case that Erskine was going to be a toll bridge. Hmm. Any major crossing that was being designed or planned in Britain at that time was going to be a toll crossing because it was a way of recouping the money that was required for the, the, the enormous cost of their design and construction. Yeah, and you know. for its maintenance and as it's well. Crucially, you know, because bridges, bridges are expensive to maintain. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so it was always going to be a toll bridge, and we'll talk a wee bit more about tolls, tolls later on. Um, okay, so let's see what other facts and figures we have here for you. Yeah, I'm just I'm looking through the booklet here because there are so many things, and I don't want to miss anything in particular. Yeah, so they decided for the construction, rather than have one mega contract, they decided to split it into four to make it more manageable, make it easier for. So for, some for the roads, some yeah, for the exactly. for the and so and, so contract yeah. one was for the piers and foundations, and mm -hmm. that was the, the the one that was designed by Fairhurst. Okay, that eventually was awarded um, to Christiani Shand Limited, mm -hmm. who actually built the M74 Hamilton Bypass Stage 1. Okay. Oh, I'd heard the name before, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And the value of that contract was £720,000. Oh, that's really cheap, yeah. you know. So things, things were cheaper back then, but yeah. of course what that equates to it now It equates to about £13.5 I think, yeah. when, when I ran the calculation. Um, recently for that. So that was contract one. Contract two was for the bridge superstructure. So the main bridge itself, all the steel work, the towers, the cable, the box girders, um, you know, all the various bits and bobs that come with that, the bridge deck, the surfacing and the like. And uh, that was let uh, to Fairfield maybe, mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier. They were the main contractor on that. And the value of that at that time was uh, was four and a half million. Um, and I, I do have a calculation uh, to hand on, on, on what that is I'll need to look that out so that we can we can see that but I think it works so out so you get a chance to pull it up later yeah. and I'm looking at some of these it's things it's like something so. like 50, 50 something million mm -hmm. contract 3 was for the north approach roads mm -hmm. okay so, so that that's the, now what you were just talking yep. about the A2 and Dalnotter Dalnotter interchange did you know the name Dalnotter comes from the name of the burn that runs through the site there's me thinking it was just the cemetery some mm. reason or the, the, because yep, it was always a, a Dalnotter burn, uh, which was placed in culvert as part of the contract, a 500 uh, feet long culvert. In, um, in, uh, there's a, see that? Hey, when people think of, oh, it's just a little contract for this little <laughs> junction. No, you've got to put something in culvert. You've got to divert all the services, yep. adjust the existing road, and landscape the whole area. As some people know that interchange in fairness as, oh, oh, that's old Kilpatrick interchange, but no, it's it's Dalnotter. Although sadly, in the where I work, that that's 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 not the term I hear people people call that junction. To be honest with you, yeah, and it was Mount one, Blo it, I've seen Mount Blow referred to as well. Even though Ma it's further, Ma Mount Blow is the other junction mm -hmm. as you go in towards Clyde Bank. But anyway, look, we could talk about roads all day, but we're talking about bridges today. <laughs> yes, we are, and I've got my you're, you're got talking your there. I've got my figures up. So okay. the four point five million uh, Fairfield maybe contract actually works out to eighty four million pounds today. So there you go. Mm. Um, the third contract, North Approaches, as we said, uh, Peter Linden Company Limited were the contractor there. And this was the scheme that our old friend Barry Old mm -hmm. worked on. Barry was an engineer on that scheme. People may remember, I was mentioning Barry's name before, he worked on Renfrew Bypass, Irvine Newtown, the extension of Glasgow Airport Runway. Yep. Well, Barry was still in Glasgow at that time and he worked on the North Approaches mm -hmm. and he's got fond They had a wonderful foresight to take some great photos. Yeah. So he was oh, doing yes. these things which are... Yep. So Some of the, the wonderful photos we've shared um, were taken by Barry at the time. Really great that these guys thought about mm. taking photos at Especially the time. Especially early on. Uh, a lot of these photos show that these things were really at the beginning stages of construction as well. But yeah. Exactly. That contract, incidentally, was valued at $1.4 Okay. Uh, which today would be about $26 million, mm -hmm. give or take. So, yeah, it's fair for a junction of that, that size. You know, it was only tying onto the end of the bridge. There was some, it's three-leveled, though. It's three-level, you're right. It's so semi-directional. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty big as far as as, uh, as these junctions go. Yeah. I mean, the contract included the construction of the slip roads, the realignment of the A82 dual carriageway, and the alteration of the local road system. Uh, six bridges were constructed, as well as two service culverts and that 500-metre-long uh, uh, culvert of the mm. Dalnotter burn. I said 500 feet, 500 metres. That was also built. So, yeah, fairly fairly large project. Uh, that contract was uh, awarded... Uh, in uh, December of 1967 and, and work actually started in January of 1968. Actually, that was the second uh, thing to start because construction on the, on the foundations and piers had begun in April 1967 with a formal ceremony on the 6th of June Okay. Um, of, that, of that year. Mm -hmm. Good and stuff. final contract, which was the second largest, was for the Southern Approaches. I was just about to mm -hmm. say. Southern Approaches, but also the administration building mm -hmm. and the toll plaza. 
Yeah, so um, the Toll Plaza is the Toll Plaza. Some people mm-hmm. remember that. But the administration building yep. uh, is still there. It's still there. It's, it's mm-hmm. part of the depot now. Yep. Um, they're still used for maintaining the bridge. Yep, uh, so, so the admin building was to be the home for the toll staff, the maintenance staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was workshops as well to allow the guys to do work. They had their own fire tender. Mm-hmm. They had their own breakdown truck. They had their own road sweeper. They had their own maintenance vehicles. They had all just this like at the fourth, time. even just like Clyde Tunnel. Yeah, it had well. to be a self-sufficient operation. Yeah. yeah, because there was nothing else like it at that time. Yeah, uh, you know, so so they they had their own setup. Uh, that contract, which included the M898, which for a while was the shortest motorway in Britain and remains the highest numbered, mm-hmm. that was included as well as that mile long extension of the M8 or Bishopton Bypass Stage One. Yeah, uh, these sections, the M8 and the M898, opened in advance of the bridge. They were completed on the twenty seventh of December, nineteen seventy. That's right. So basically, you got six months where you could use this Bishopton Bypass, but you just couldn't get onto the bridge yet. Was that, just that's right yeah that's right uh the value of that contract was 2.6 million which is roughly 48 million today and that was constructed by our old friends watling's civil engineering limited absolutely watling's got everywhere <laughs> they did yeah yeah they, they the contractor of the time yeah exactly mm-hmm. exactly so as i said construction kicked off in the spring of 1967 and uh Construction proceeded pretty quickly considering the scale of the bridge and, and obviously we're celebrating the anniversary so it was formally opened on the, the 2nd of July 1971 by uh, Princess Anne. Uh, she came up and there was a whole lot of dignitaries, the Secretary of State for Scotland, Gordon Campbell was there at that time and various others and uh, basically construction mostly went without any major hitches from what we're told, from what we're, we're led to believe. Uh, by 1969 the piers and foundations were complete and steelwork correction began. Uh, the the vast majority of the steelwork was in place by the end of 1970. We only know the closing sections of the main span completed in early 1971. And that was followed by the mastic road surfacing, the services, the warning signs, the phones, the CCTV. They had cameras before any other parts of the network. Clyde Tunnel had it, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, and and other safety features that that were installed. All went very well. Yeah. Um. The, there were some issues with, with steelwork. It was found that some of the box girder designs um, that had been used elsewhere perhaps needed a bit of strengthening, and Erskine did get a bit of strengthening done on it. So after it was complete, there was a few years of work that was done internally uh, with no real disruption to, to traffic. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got a story for you. Um, it was from one of our one of our It's followers. not bedtime yet, is it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's always great when people get in touch. It's one of the things that's so rewarding about what we do on social yeah. media and other places because people get in touch people who have direct experience of being involved okay and we're celebrating the, the anniversary in the opening and it was wonderful when, when I got, we got a message on facebook from lynn uh, lingwood okay mm-hmm. uh, and uh, she sent a message to say i was a waitress on the day the bridge opened which also happened to be my 17th birthday oh, cool. i served in the posh marquee with a lovely level four then in the workers' marquee, which was which was tarpaulin over rough ground, it was like the rocky road to Dublin. Okay, <laughs> so I had actually I, I emailed Lynn back and said, "That's fantastic." You know, was that a big event? Because it's quite hard to tell from the photos. Yeah, and even speaking to Barry and others, you know, what, what kind of scale? You know, when Fourth Road Bridge opened, it was a huge event. Of Kingston course. was the same, thousands of people. Well, one assures us, yes, it was a big event. Princess Anne was with all the senior members of the design and construction team, mm-hmm. also local politicians as well, and a number of others from the local area, you know, had mm-hmm. turned up. She says here, that's good, the marquee for the Toffs had a lovely wooden floor, posh tables and chairs around the marquee, and posh bits and pieces were served with glasses of bubbly. Uh, the Princess Marquee guests weren't eating or drinking much, so I went next door into the workers' marquee. What a difference. <laughs> the tarpaulin placed over the rough ground, so I couldn't really see where I was walking, carrying my tray. The difference... But the atmosphere was there, much more fun. Okay. Sandwiches instead of canapes and cheaper plonk, but loads more fun than, you know, the next door. The senior waitress sneaked me a glass of bubbly at the end as mum didn't want me drinking on my 17th. Oh, well, So, thank you very much. It just humanises the whole thing. It does. It actually puts you you in there in the atmosphere of it because you're right, Stuart. You look at these old photos and it's just this kind of grey, kind of black. It's always raining at an opening ceremony. They've got this bunting of this kind of Mm -hmm. uh, stand and it only just shows, you know, somebody, somebody opening the road. What happened to this? Why don't we do this anymore? I, I mean, loads of roads have opened now, but there's, yeah. uh, there's not that much fanfare. I suppose we've let people walk and cycle on the roads before they open. That's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. But no, they're, they're not really big events anymore, to be honest with you. But uh, I guess it was just a product of the time. You know, this was all seen as awfully clever. So new, then. so big, so yeah, modern, you know, and, and, we, and we, looking we to the future. we exposed yeah, to it now. Exactly. Maybe. 
Um, so I think when Princess Anne came, she also she came across in the ferry because obviously the ferry service was coming to an end, mm-hmm. and it was operated by the Clyde Port Authority. So the old ferry there was the same as the one operated at Govan, and it ran through you know the blue colour mm-hmm. with the, with the names on the side in big white letters. I know the ones, yeah. Yeah. So I think the service basically ceased on the day that the bridge opened for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So I think what happened was Princess Anne came across the ferry on the Land Rover, and was then driven. Uh, in a car from the from the ferry terminal down below up across the toll plaza to the, the big setup they had next to the admin building for the opening there was a podium there and a, a, basically a, a grandstand with people sitting in it mm-hmm. they invited guests there was a bit of talk um, you know chat going on people doing speeches and the like and then the ribbon was cut and she'd ended a drive over mm-hmm. of the bridge and it was open to traffic the afternoon you know after so by the evening of Friday the 2nd of July, it was open. And you know what? That was actually worked out quite well because that's the start of the Scottish holiday season, yeah. start of July. So I imagine that summer season was far easier for traffic of course heading north than that. New Bridge, you yeah. can just get straight up to Loch Lomond <clears throat> now and all these kind of things. That is fantastic. Yeah. So the, the construction of the bridge was, was quite phenomenal. And, and, and some people have said that, you know, they remember it seeing this massive bridge spanning out across the river from both sides. And, you know, the precision... The, the, the engineers and the team involved must have had was unbelievable no computers to work it out you know so they're launching these girders from both sides of the river and i think it was within inches of where you know it ultimately needed to be when they met in the middle mm-hmm. so when they eventually got to the middle they had to, to jack it up ever so slightly before they could weld it all together you know it was so so precise mm-hmm. it's a lost art john it is it really yeah. is <laughs> i suppose computers have taken over and everything is is like that but yeah. um and they had know. some temporary cables and things in place um at the same time so in terms of the toll plaza, people are interested in the toll plaza because it's, well, it's what, 15 years now since the tolls were removed. Yeah. You know, so it's quite a while since, since they, they've gone. So, so people are a bit interested in it. So there were four toll booths for each direction. So the toll plaza obviously <clears throat> only on the south side. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was, it was realised pretty quickly. Originally, they were going to charge variable tolls depending on what was using it. But they decided on a, a flat rate of 15 pence. For all vehicles, mm-hmm. from cars and above, motorcycles and other, you know, like uh, uh, invalid carriages as they were at the time, they were able to use the bridge for free. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had this, this charge of 15 pence for the few years. But not quite sure on the records, trying to do a bit, a bit of research, they're not quite found out, but it looks as though it probably was raised to about 30 pence during the 1980s, and eventually it was moved to 60 pence in 1992, and it stayed at that level until they were abolished in 2006. Is it always 60? It never went above 60, did no. it? No, it was never higher than 60 pence. But bear in mind, you did pay both ways. Yeah. Which, although the Fourth Road Bridge had that originally, it was yeah, they swapped changed eventually. It. Yeah. So you only paid it was double. Only, only northbound. Northbound. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it was uh, it was all new. It was all fresh. Mm. Did you know there's a service tunnel runs below I the I do. Plaza? Yes, I, I, I have. I've never been in it, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, but I have seen the wonderful pictures because we shared them on social media. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that used now that service <coughs> is not just for slinging cables and ducts through as many of these things often are yep. that originally was an access to get into the booths wasn't it um not so much the booths themselves on on foot um but oh. it was an access for the cables and, and the equipment and the like so that, that was, went was there not a case of where you get into parts of the central reservation or other areas what the the tunnel allowed was for the staff members to get across the dual carriageway without having to cross the road ah, right. and there was a bus stop there as well so any staff coming in from the dumbarton side they could safely cross they the road without having to... You know, there's another hidden road here, right, that not many people realise. Mm-hmm. You talk, spoke about that admin building, we spoke about itself. There is a service road that mm-hmm. goes round yep. as well. Again, know? to allow the vehicles going into the admin building to very safely get across to the other side, or, you know. It's crazy. Through there. Yeah. So we, we spoke a lot about the junction there with A726. What's the name of that junction? So originally, in the if you look at the opening booklets, it's just kind of toll plaza interchange. It's yeah. very, very dry. But it came to be known as, uh, particularly in in this, in this where I work, mm-hmm. as spectacles interchange. And that is really just from the way it looks. It looks like a pair of glasses. Yeah. Now, there, there are some <laughs> interesting uh, things I've heard about this. And some people have said that it's actually the junction was deliberately modelled after to look like an owl. Yeah, we, we've because heard of air skin mm. has got some connection with an owl so yeah. you know it's got a meter book but you wouldn't make a junction and, look and like you know that. We, we, i did some research on that and, and patrick who our graphic guy who's helped us with the brochure and all things, yeah, he did there a any, bit of research as well we couldn't find anything no, at all it's but just other one of people, these local legends lots of people have said that yeah. it would be interesting so either the logo was based on the junction or the junction was based on the owl and the yeah. logo so we don't know which came first or you know so it, i think it's <clears> very boring right it's like that 
because it's a folded it's what's known as a folded dumbbell mm-hmm. and you put the slips together because it's ideal for something like tolls yeah you know because you've got the people leaving and joining almost at a similar spot so everybody's caught if yeah. you know what i mean and it doesn't use much space the junction in fairness you know um i gotta say i love those roundabouts yeah underneath you know they're, they're lovely sight lines you get through them quite quickly mm-hmm. uh it's a junction i enjoy uh to be honest it used to be two lanes didn't it you can yeah. lose on the slip that's right <laughs> uh it was all it was all a bit um yeah a bit narrow mm-hmm. but it was changed so that administration building's interesting that's still there yeah and another thing is shilton lane um, Shilton Lane, if you come off uh, south, south of the bridge, and is if you're going towards Bishopton, yeah. there are a lot of houses that you see there mm-hmm. on the left. Now, I've always wondered if these were built yeah. there as part to house the workers yeah, for the bridge. That was workers' housing. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're still there to this day, yeah. uh, these houses. So if you stay on Shilton Lane in one of these yeah. houses... Mm-hmm. So toll workers. operators, maintenance workers, we're all given houses. That would be very common at the time. Mm. Um, great idea. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, with distilleries, they have like the yeah. distillers' houses next to the, mm. the cottages because yep. people used to live where they worked. Yeah. That's unheard of now. Yeah, it's a, it's a great idea, but we've got away from that. Maybe when we move back to this local living that, that mm. seems to be creeping in to the agenda after the, the pandemic, may well, that sort of thing may well come back. People not commuting 30 miles to work, mm. you know, just live next door to work. But I like living on my uh, car dependent <laughs> estate and driving 45 <laughs> miles to. Yes. <laughs> I know you do. Estate. Yeah, I no, no. know you do. No, no. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Um, what other interesting facts and figures that I have? Well, there were right. some wonderful artists' impressions. Oh, okay. And they, they're on the website. And, and, and go on and have a look at those. They're in the brochure as well. Fantastic artists' impressions. They almost look like just paintings of what's actually been built. They're so so lifelike you know uh, it's it's good to always see these i think it's quite because it's so slender it's something too hard to to make it define bold and impressive on on our impression however i have seen an image of a mock-up of what the erskine (coughs) crossing would Mm -hmm. be like yeah and this was almost like a railway bridge that looked like it was an iron cast thing Um, yeah they considered a tied arch as an option they also considered a steel truss yeah, um, so that was it. The steel yep. truss mm-hmm. idea. I I seen that. Um, some of these things, but I don't have the pictures of them. Yeah, uh, I, I it's in, it's in it. one of the technical papers that we have in the archive, and uh, yeah. basically it was ruled out because they couldn't achieve the the, the span that they needed to mm-hmm. to enable shipping to continue upstream. So uh, one thing, if if we if we're to go off and kind of talk a little bit about what why they chose a bridge, why did they not choose a tunnel? Have you seen anything in your research, Stuart, that maybe examined I, the options of a tunnel? You know, John, when you think about it, a tunnel would probably would not have been a viable option because of the topography, because there's steep slopes on either side coming down mm. to the river, and if you were having to come down off of the hill, see where the M8 is now, yeah, think how deep you would have to go to get down under the river, then think and then of the gradient coming up again, coming up again, yeah. you'd have to completely realign the, oh, the yeah. A2 and they it would, look, uh, would have been hugely expensive. And at that point, they didn't have the preformed section to no. sink to the bottom, exactly. which is what they do now yeah. with a lot of these estuary crossings. But yeah. no, so that I suppose answers because we've had a few, we've had questions coming mm-hmm. about yeah. it. So exactly. So uh, let's start back to where we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've spoken about everything. The bridge is open. Yes. Uh, the ribbon's been cut, and traffic yep. starts using it. They're paying their toll. Hundreds of vehicles turn up over that first weekend when it's operational. Wonderful. We've got pictures showing cars parked in lane one with people jumping over the barrier, having a look to see the views upstream, downstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, traffic chaos, everybody's loving it, paying yeah. the tolls. And then when the interest is, is done, okay, it what, starts what? to taper off a bit. Well, which brings me to an article okay. that I've come across mm-hmm. uh, while doing research on the bridge. And this was years ago. I'm yep. talking about seven years ago. And it was in the Sunday Post. And uh, this article is dated from November the 7th. Okay. So 1971. So that's um, that's about five months after yeah. the bridge is now open. Mm-hmm. And the headline reads, Erskine Bridge, a white elephant. Oh, okay. Which is a term I think uh, we, we know a little <laughs> bit sometimes we're talking about because that's what we, we you know, have heard people say this but based back then. I mean, we don't think of it like that now, mm-hmm. but uh, I'll read some of the article in the in the in yeah. the sunday post Go if ahead. you're happy with mm-hmm. that yeah um it says the controlling councils uh, renfrew and de martin are to sponsor two major surveys to establish what use is being made of the nine million erskine bridge which opened in well it says in this article it's june but it's actually 
It was July, so the, July. the journalist was wrong right away because it was a ten and a half million <laughs> pound construction, that. and it opened in July. What can we do? Sunday goodness Post, goodness sake. me. Anyway, I will continue despite the errors. Um, it says which op- opened in July. Okay, uh, <laughs> traffic has been far lower than expected. Yeah. So with the, you know, this is kind of tying in that narrative of initially some excitement and then so it's very quiet. Yeah. So they're wondering why. Uh, it's believed drivers and commercial firms are avoiding the bridge because of the tolls. Mm-hmm. They're saying. So yesterday, a Sunday postman surveyed the bridge for an hour. So well, the, own, I'm sure he was an expert as well. Yeah, so mm-hmm. the, the the journalist uh, turned traffic engineer went yeah, out there yeah. with his counter. Only four of the six toll booths were open. The collectors were not hard pressed by the traffic flow. <laughs> Between three and four p.m., 352 vehicles used the bridge. Six a minute. The fourth road bridge averages 20. Nearly all were private cars. That's like comparing apples with oranges, comparing the Erskine Bridge with the fourth road bridge. You just can't do Different sort of crossing, I know. Only And also, of course, fourth being open for longer at that point Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, Only one bus and two lorries used the bridge. Three motorcycles and a horse box made up the total. (laughs) Uh, he, he carries on saying surveys. The toll cash is supposedly to defray the cost of construction, yet it could be costing more to collect than it brings in. Dr. James McFarlane, as mentioned here, okay, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. chairman of the Erskine Joint Committee, said they had authorised the surveys to help them decide whether there was a case to demand further discussions with the Scottish office about the abolition of tolls. Okay. So look at this. They've got the bridge open. Uh, you know, <clears throat> James McFarland's obviously looking going, well, maybe we should get rid of these things because back then yeah. uh, it was seen as low utilisation. This yeah. is a failure. You know, uh, one will be a traffic study about the starting points and destinations of vehicles using the bridge and of the vehicles using alternative routes to avoid the bridge, yeah. tying in okay. what you've said so, about the tunnel. So that's a key point, right? So we mm-hmm. have to put ourselves, and we, we always say this, put yourself in the time. In okay, the thinking in the, of the time. In the thinking of the time, in the context of the time. Okay. So if you were a driver, and it was 1971, and you were going across the Clyde, the roads were much quieter. Uh-huh. In the space of eight years, we had had three high-quality river crossings completed. Mm-hmm. Clyde Tunnel, 63-64. Kingston Bridge in 1970. Mm-hmm. And then the Erskine Bridge in 1971. We had gone from having no good alternative, viable crossings of the Clyde, downstream of the city centre, to three. Mm-hmm. Traffic growth was, yeah, on the up. But the capacity of the Clyde Tunnel and the Kingston Bridge were huge because they were designed for 30 years down the line. Erskine, likewise, was built to have a, a lot of inbuilt capacity. Of course. Okay? Yeah. So if you've got quieter roads elsewhere, but Erskine's charging a toll, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not a surprise to realise that people, people are going to... Go through the tunnel. Yeah. So you could say, was it a bad idea to have tolls in Erskine? Here's From another thing. Let, this is something I've just realised. I'm glancing behind you, Stuart, at the map. Mm-hmm. If you look at how joined up the network was, so yep. that bridge opened in 1971. Yep. The Renfrew Motorway wasn't open. That's right, yeah. So it's actually, you know, you've got, yeah, the Renfrew Bypass was open. Yeah. You know, you couldn't actually easily get across yeah. because there was still that big gap in the system that we had to That's wait until right. 1976. So actually... Connectivity-wise, to a wider strategic road network, it's pretty poor. Yeah. So you, so you, and then tolls. Exactly. So as you, as you say, so if you're coming along the M8 from Edinburgh, yeah, and you know that you're going to get kicked off at Kingston and then need to join the A8 and crawl along Paisley Road West and all these other areas to get to the Enfield Bypass at Hillington, mm-hmm. whereas you can come off either at Great Western Road or use the Clydeside Expressway and nip up Crow Road and along that way. Yeah, you, the traffic almost isn't being positioned to use the Erskine mm. Bridge at that time. And the completion of the Renfrew Motorway in 1976 mm. obviously had a huge effect because yeah. you were then putting that final piece of the motorway puzzle in place. People just went, great, we can we can stay on the M8 now and yeah. go all the way through. And go all the yeah, way along. Yeah. And, and that, that's an interesting thing and to And no about doubt yeah. traffic started to recover beyond that mm. point. Now, I know through some of the research we've done that we know that they, they made at least $72 million in toll revenue mm-hmm. in the years that it was operational, that it was collected. Yeah. So that seventy-two million is obviously way in excess of the ten and a half it cost to build, and even when you include the the inflation to that time in, in the two thousand, it paid for itself really. It more or less, and, did. and it paid obviously for that maintenance and yeah. get people there and stuff. Like so that. you know, yeah, okay, it suffered a bit in its early years because of the tolls, but as the Clyde Tunnel started to fill up and started to get busy, mm. more people would start to consider the Erskine as a, a viable alternative. But it has to be said, even 
at the time the tolls were removed, it was only just getting 30,000 vehicles I, a day. I think it always had the stigma as well with the tolls. People, people yeah. used to think, oh, you know what, it's a pain. We have to have change yeah. on me. You know, it's just, oh, for goodness sake, so the Lumen Bridge. Yeah. It, at that time, it was only getting about half the flows of the, the Clyde Tunnel and about a quarter of the flows of the Kingston Bridge. Yeah, well, the Kingston has, has 10 lanes, I suppose. Yeah. But there you go. But what's the kind of contemporary position now? Are we are we finding the Erskine Bridge is actually really quite busy now? Yeah. Has it so, recovered? Yeah. So tolls were abolished in 2006. And mm-hmm. within the first year, traffic had increased by 25%. Mm-hmm. So we're now in a position where more than 40,000 vehicles a day are using the Erskine Bridge. Which is within the kind of design capacity for that type of yeah. road. And yeah. I know we might think, oh, you know, it should be 80. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Another another traffic jam there. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't want that. This is fine. This is it's good. Bu- it's busy now. It's busy enough. Far busier than it ever used to be. Mm. Um, if you're driving on, on, a, on a busy summer weekend or whatever, you chances are if you're in lane one because you want to go north on the 82, mm. you're probably in a slow-moving convoy going across the bridge. Yeah, that being said, I mean, I never got caught up with too much. It seems to function pretty well mm-hmm. unless there's an incident or something. Yeah. like that but no yeah. speaking of incidents oh no there is one huge incident that we can't talk about Erskine Bridge without mentioning the okay. big incident okay um I think I know what it is to be honest with you so did you know that on the 4th of August 1996 mm-hmm. oh, yeah, a six and a half thousand ton oil rig being towed downstream mm-hmm. from one of the shipyards on its way to the North Sea yep collided with the Erskine Bridge. I did know this. Yep. I did and know this. And it tore a hole 10 metres long by 30 centimetres wide in that hollow steel box girder. And not only that, but the incident coincided with an Oasis concert at Loch Lomond. And there were thousands of people trying to get there and the bridge had to close because of the, the, the serious nature of the incident. Well, of course... But don't worry, Clyde Tunnel to the rescue, <laughs> you know. So, by, by the, that, but by that time, Clyde Tunnel was having work done in it to fireproof it, <laughs> and Kingston Bridge had multiple restrictions on it because of the strengthening work. Yeah. So there was, it was chaos it for was, a while. It was a, a total traffic now. But this answer, by the way, we we are going to do questions. Yes. Yeah. And Hugh Templeton, uh, I did have a question: as how much damage did the 1996 uh, collision cause? Yeah, so, we'll, so we'll answer Hugh's question now. So yeah, sure. it caused serious damage. Okay. And and we know one of the engineers who was first on the on the scene, and they were rather taken aback by the extent of the damage mm-hmm. uh, that had been caused to the bridge, and it was immediately closed um, to all traffic and pedestrians and cyclists, and that remained the case for at least a couple of weeks. Um, mm-hmm. We're open to pedestrians again first when when they managed to do some some urgent repairs, and it then opened to traffic uh, cars and light vehicles by the end of the August, but it didn't actually fully reopen to heavy goods vehicles until December. And they had to, to basically uh, undertake £3.6 million worth of repairs. Mm-hmm. And they, they reckon they lost uh, several hundred thousand pounds worth of total revenue as well. Now, they were later reimbursed for that cost by the insurer of the of the oil rig company. Yeah. Um, it turned out that the, the, the tides and the times and various things hadn't quite worked out in the height of the oil rig. And there was a bit of a miscalculation. And it was, a bit, and it was sitting a bit higher. Than it was just a bit higher, so that it scored the underside of the bridge. Um, the, 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 our, we, we've seen stories of people, um, you know, who worked as, as toll operators, uh, and and one woman said that her car had been buffeted almost from lane one to lane two, as the oil rig hit and was scraping under. Because obviously the bridge is fairly flexible because yeah, of the nature it's, of its taking. It's, you know, it's a good so thing a it was flexible. By the yeah. way, it could, it could take that because otherwise it could be mm. a lot worse. So she she got a bit of a dunt there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, in those days, they had the tolls, so they were able to close the bridge pretty easily. It was pretty easy to close it from the south side. Yeah. Um, we, we've been told another story by by people who, who, who were involved uh, in, in the maintenance at that time. By this stage, Strathclyde Regional Council maintained it. We should have said it. I always like to mention who, who maintained it. So initially, Dumbartonshire and Renfrewshire through the Joint Committee, and then when they were abolished in 75, Strathclyde Regional Council maintained it on behalf of the Scottish Office, and then when Strathclyde was abolished, it actually fell to, to Renfrewshire Council to mm-hmm. look after as part of the Clyde Local Authority Consortium who were looking after the, the trunk road network at that for, time. For at least a few years yeah. anyway, until it was in, into the operator's yeah. hands. So we know they stuck up some goalposts um, at the end of the bridge to you know, to check the height of the vehicles that were actually looking to use it. And if someone was too high, they were told, no, sorry, you're too heavy, you can't use it, and were turned away. Mm. 
Uh, that, weight, that went on for a while. Now it's replaced by the weight in motion system, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's got a weight in motion system now as well, mm-hmm. so they can record the, the weights of vehicles using uh, using the bridge. If you're found to be higher than 44 tons, I think it takes a photo of you and you get it's a It's a pretty clever system. Oh, yeah. People think they're speed cameras, don't they? Yeah, Those yeah. things, but they're not. They're weight in motion thing, but yeah, be very careful if you're in an HGV, double check. Yeah, exactly. You know? So to, to round off the, the sort of history then of the bridge, so after the oil rig hit, um, there was a lot of repairs done in the early 90s. The bridge deck was refurbished. It was rewaterproof and resurfaced. That was done. And then after all the, the major repairs and things like that, uh, through the, the 2000s and into the 2010s, there was a lot of focus on the access equipment. So there was new inspection gantries installed, new access manholes, uh, you know, through the, through the side of the, the web of the bridge. Uh, that, that was all done. There's been various other surface and repairs. The parapets have been replaced. The vehicle barrier system has been, been upgraded as That's well. That's quite a recent one. Mm-hmm. That happened, I think, five years ago. Near or thereabouts, These yeah. Big, big H4A things mm-hmm. they put in. Mm-hmm. They, I believe the cables were painted. And at the moment, they're actually working on a project to paint the box girder. And that will happen over a, a, a number of summers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this is summer number two, and I think it's uh, it's scheduled for completion twenty four, twenty five. I think for that, mm-hmm. the bridge will be fully resurfaced uh, within the next three, four years as well. That's something else that's been worked on. Good. Uh, and there's been new navigation lights, and new electrical systems, new lighting columns, new high mast lights, new signage, mm-hmm. various other things have been done as well. And th- there's still a lot of programmed work coming up as well. The bridge is still very important, so we'll get a lot of work on it. Um, and uh, there's been more than fifty million pounds actually spent so far by mm-hmm. by Transport Scotland and the, and the Scottish office before to keep, that to keep, keep the bridge going. Working. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. it's, it's a fantastic structure. You know, it's it's, it's pretty uh, it's pretty unique. It's certainly unique um, in Scotland. It's the only one of its type. I mean, there's various types of cable stayed bridges. You get the mono cable. You get harps. Um, and fan types, uh, I think. Fans Queens, like Queensbury, Queensbury, yeah. Um, they Harp Kessuk. is like Kessuk. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you so you've got that. So the only monocable uh, stay bridge in Scotland mm-hmm. um, is Erskine. There's not many of them at all. And you know that that fact was recognised by Historic Environment Scotland um, back in 2018 when they actually categorised it as a as a Category A structure mm-hmm. classified as category a so that's the of national importance that's how unique it is yeah. there's just so many things about it that are unique uh, and technically uh, aesthetically architecturally you know um this is not the stuart baird i knew no uh, you you really <laughs> have come come to love this bridge through the research uh, and things not that you didn't research it before but yeah. i mean in the detail that you've looked at and i totally agree with you some of the views you can get on yeah. up from up here are, are fantastic it, as well it's and, absolutely um, stunning and you know we actually we, we estimated recently uh that we think more than 400 million vehicles have used the bridge uh since it was since it was completed oh, okay so that's, that's a fair number Anyway, time's going on, so we really should you better get into, into these the questions, questions yeah. Um, yeah. which are which are three. Well, you've answered one in the course of this, mm-hmm. so we put it out to social media, and some people come back to us with questions. Yeah, uh, we've got it's the, it's the regulars here, Stuart. So oh. you're ready for these? Okay. Uh, this is on Twitter, and it's uh, Robert Kilcoin. All right, yeah, we know Robert. Yep, mm-hmm. at Robert Kilcoin too, uh, and he and, and Robert asks. Has there been a significant increase on the traffic on the Erskine Bridge since the removal of the tolls, the M74 completion to the MA, and the pulpit rock improvements which have made the M74, MA, A89, A82 mm-hmm. a shorter and quicker route into the Highlands than the M73, M80, M9, A84, AE85 yeah, route? Yeah, yeah. Yours, but <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. What, what do you think about that? Yes, it has. The traffic's up more than 30 percent than it was before and the you, tolls you think that's about the the old plug effect where yeah. you know it's, it removes a gap so uh, i think so through. i think so yeah i mean uh, traffic's gone up anyway but i think taking the tolls off has made a, a big difference and in, in that first year actually there was a bit of a drop in the clyde tunnel traffic mm-hmm. there was a noticeable drop in clyde tunnel traffic so yeah it definitely had an effect okay yeah. well, this is that thanks for that robert okay the next one stuart armstrong you know oh uh, yeah mm-hmm. um hello again stuart he, he asked, maybe a question for the podcast if you've not already recorded. Well, here we are. Yeah, yeah. Any <laughs> truth that the towers were only needed as temporary supports during construction? The bridge could actually function pretty well without them, he asks. So we're talking about the two yeah. masts. Two no, uh, Erskine was always going to have masts, as they refer to them in the technical paper. The design always had towers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other box girder bridges like Cledow in Wales. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a box girder that doesn't have towers. Uh, no, Erskine was always going to have towers. I think some of the detail of them changed as the design progressed, uh, but they were always going to be there. It's interesting an opinion like that forms. Is it yeah. maybe because they're quite slender and quite short compared to something yeah. like Queensbury? Possibly. We know the original design, the towers were going to be hollow and have lifts and access chambers like uh, the Fourth Road Bridge has, mm-hmm. but uh, as they, they beefed up the design and strengthened it a bit, uh, the towers were actually filled with concrete. 
Well, there you go. Thank you for that, Stuart. No problem. So we're going to move on to Facebook now. So Gary Davidson has a question. Mm-hmm. Gary asks, what's going on with the west side cycle lane and footpath? The gas pipeline work was completed at least a year ago, yet it's still all shut up. Okay, I've consulted with our friends at Amy, who maintain the bridge now on behalf of Transport Scotland, and they've confirmed that the, the, the closures are required for the painting the, the painting of the bridge that, mm-hmm. that, that's ongoing, as well as works that are happening to the edge cantilever beams and, and the access uh, hatches and all that sort of thing. So there is still maintenance ongoing. Bear in mind, you can't really see it because it's all happening below bridge. If you go down underneath and you have a look up, no doubt you'll see some of the work that's going on. But yeah, that's the reason for that. Okay. So we're told. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Sorry for the inconvenience, but there you go. Uh, we've got uh, Jim Gifford who asks a question. Are they ever going to resurface the cycle lanes or the road? Now, you did touch on this. Yeah, this is coming yeah. up in the next few years. Yeah, I it? mean, it was done in the 1990s and there's there's a programme in place to it's do it. It's not your standard years. asphalt. A lot yeah. of people ask about this. It's it's that kind of... Uh, it's difficult to deal with. Yeah, you've got that. It's that mastic polymer stuff, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's very expensive. Yeah. It either comes in really big batches or not at all, yeah, you know, kind yeah. of thing. So it's a very difficult thing to Yeah, repair. you can't just go out and chuck any old stuff into the hole like you do with potholes and things, yeah. Yeah, or even still sawing right into it. So then the steel deck, yeah. It's 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 a nightmare, Jim. <laughs> Take my word for it. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, we've already answered Hughes Templeton. We've got one more question, just overleaf here on the black back, mm-hmm. and uh, this is from Planner underscore Scott. Um, was this quite controversial at the time? He says, particularly destroying parts of the village and the loss oh. of passing trade for those crossing the river. Now, when he says the village, oh. I think he might mean Uncle Patrick. He also uses the D word, which is oh, that's. Uh, we, what don't, do you, what? we don't like when people use the destroy word. Oh, destroy. It's a very emotive, right. very it, negative it is. term to use. The, the bridge didn't what, what destroy. Do you think? It enhanced. Is that what you yes. mean? Yeah. We enhanced our road system. <laughs> well, that, but I, I, looking at old Kilpatrick, I don't think anything was demolished for the bridge. Well, I mean, one of the things is I find very striking about the bridge <laughs> since beers are going through, like, it, it, it is in the village. It's yeah. going over, you know, and it's. It's like a roof over the village in some yeah. sections. Yeah. Uh, it, to me, I think it's cool. Uh, and I look and I think, oh, that's really impressive. They've just got, they've bridged over the whole village. But yeah. imagine no. maybe at the time, just, <clears throat> just put off thinking in the time, people thought, wow, this is going to be a change. Yeah, but I don't think they thought it was a bad change because these are the people who had to depend on the ferry service that had been very unreliable. So I think most people actually embraced the bridge well, my arms. Mm. And, and, you know, based on the responses we've seen in social media the last few weeks mm. talking about it, it seems to be a particularly loved bridge. We've had a lot of comments from people on both sides of the mm. river who, who seem to have a, a real regard for it and, and love it almost, you know. Well, it's their landmark of course uh, I mean it's more loved than Kingston I'm just saying yeah so. yeah, <laughs> you're right it is by a long way but uh, I, I think maybe if you had the ferry down at Oakapatrick people stop yeah. there and get something to eat an ice cream and a coffee and of course this thing's dried up maybe yeah. but the same thing happened in Recythe and all yeah. these other places yeah. South Queen's Free so. it's just the nature of it but uh, as society moves on and things develop then ultimately it has to be done but it's a very aesthetic it's a very it's it's a lovely design <laughs> You know, it's very elegant, actually, you could say. It is. Um, And and it fits very well. And that's why Hess gave it category A listing. Because it it fits so well with surroundings. It fits so nicely in that valley Mm -hmm. on both sides of the river. You know, but from the distance, it's not dominating the landscape. It actually adds to it, in -hmm. a way. It's a feature. It's an icon. It's a 20th century icon. Yeah. Um, It's a design icon. It's, It's a civil engineering marvel. Absolutely. It's um, the other great bridge, as yeah. I always, always think. I have yeah. a picture of it. And, and you know what? I think it's nice that it's getting some attention of for course. its 50th. So, no, that's good. I, I've just got one question myself just to you, Stuart. Yep. Have you ever been in Erskine? Yes. You've, you've been in the box. Yes, I have. Yeah, I have indeed. There you go. I've been in, I've been in twice, uh, a, couple, a few years apart. Um, I've never been up the tower because that doesn't happen too often. Specialist mm. guys go up in the cradle when they're doing that. Uh, yeah, which is of course, because <laughs> it's external. Yeah, yeah. So, so that that gets done not too often. I've uh, been in the admin building a few times. Never been in the toll tunnel. Uh, I was personally responsible for the removal of the sign gantry on the southbound M898 a few years ago mm-hmm. uh, as part of various enhancement works that were going on around there. So th- That's that, right. that was... And you built a fence. On about a fence around the compound, that, that green fence. Stuart's yes. fence, yeah. So, yeah, I've had, a, I've had one or two involvement. Well, uh, I'm just, I, I've, I've been up uh, Fourth and Queensbury Crossing, both of them. So, mm-hmm. the, there you go. And, of course, we did our landward appearance on BBC One. We did. Um, we did. There with Doogie yeah. Vipond, as you mentioned at the beginning. That was enjoyable. Doogie Vipond's a huge fan of the Erskine Bridge. Yeah. Um, he might listen to this. Yeah, uh, he does well, follow he does. us on social media. So. Hello, Doogie. Yeah, yep. if you do. Um, one final fact from me. 
go for it. Of the original seven warning signs that were installed on the bridge, mm-hmm. only one remains. And it's on the A82 westbound, just west of the Mount Blow Junction, and just before you go off to join the bridge. And you will see the old warning sign. It's not even a VMS sign. That's how old it is. And it's got four messages. Slow traffic, ice warning, fog, an accident, oh, I think. that ancient and thing. And it's yeah, still yeah. there. Well, that, that has to and, be quick. And I recommend, if you if you like your old signage and you, and you want to see it, there's a footway there, go and walk just up and have a look at it. this because I'll have to get that removed. No, you just <laughs> leave that well alone. Well alone. I'm only teasing. And the two original uh, telephone um, boxes at either That's side. That's right. The, they're, they're protected yep. as well, aren't they? They're, they're lovely. I'd love well, to yeah. see them, them, yep. them brought up, but no, they're, mm-hmm. they're brilliant. Yeah. So it has, you know, has a, a rich history. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. Okay, it's turning fifty, but you can almost go back a century to get to the beginnings well, of it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been a great discussion here today, mm-hmm. Stuart. And of course, in fifty years' time, we'll celebrate the hundredth uh, anniversary yep. of this. So we'll have mm-hmm. another podcast out then. Yep, I'll be eighty-eight, and um, <laughs> you'll be like ninety-six. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that would be good. We're going to have to do it. Do you remember that podcast we done? Yep. Yeah. Oh, no. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Yeah. But listen, anyway, I've really enjoyed this one. It's good to good to do these special features now and again. Hope everyone enjoys it. Let us know your feedback. Leave us reviews. Yeah. Um, enjoy. Please enjoy all the various features we've got lined up for the 50th thanks to Transport Scotland for some of the information in the photos that they've yep. supplied as well we must thank them and uh, <clears throat> and remember pick up a booklet and a badge yeah you're not just getting something wonderful to keep and read mm-hmm. and wear with pride you're also supporting the Glasgow Motorway Archive in the process you are allowing us to do the envy of all your friends with things like this so exactly. now check it out on the website and on the store yeah. so. and of course all our podcast episodes can be heard online uh, Spotify Apple Podcasts anywhere you find them leave us a review it's always good to hear from people who listen gets us spreading the word as well our listener, fi- listener figures are higher than ever so yeah. thank you everyone who keeps listening to us yeah that's right and of course check us out on social media uh, we're there on Twitter we're there on Facebook and even Instagram as well and there's going to be loads of noise about Erskine um, for, for the next while oh, yes. so, so do that absolutely and we will be back next month with a regular podcast and we hope to see you then yes thank you Stuart thank you John okay bye 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 for now <laughs>